Wynn and I want to express our gratitude for every one of our listeners. Thank you for being a part of this podcast and sharing this space with us each week. We are now offering an opportunity to work with Wynn or myself individually in a deeper look towards what's true about life and who you really are. If you'd like to know more, email me or Wynn for more details. In a three-day dive under the noise, anything is possible. Let's find out. Now on to the podcast. Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynn Morgan and Kate Roberts. Welcome to Under the Noise. I'm Kate Roberts. I'm here with my co-host, Wynn Morgan. How are you, Wynn? I'm well, thanks, Kate. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing great. So, a few episodes ago, we did a show called Unrationalizable Coincidences, part one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it stemmed from something that I read about asking life to show you things that you can't possibly rationalize away these magical moments and this information and guidance and answers and really cool things right so we did that episode and we put it to our audience to send as many as possible of these unrationalizable coincidences that they have seen show up in their lives so we wanted to just start this episode today and remind people to go ahead and and send in all of their stories of magical things that showed up or things that they just were like man i can't rationalize that the way and i know you had some i've had some i've already started hearing from people so putting it out there to all of you listening if you have these stories if you did challenge life to show you some things Guidance, answers, fun things, information, reminders. Please send those along to us. But I also, I thought it would be cool just to read the passage that kind of inspired that conversation. Is that okay, Wynn? Yeah. Well, yeah. I sent you. I sent you to your book uh, stand to go and get the book. So yes, it's <laughs> okay by me. Okay. Okay. So this is from a book that. Lately, I've been reading called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And the part in the book, it says, I have heard the crying of your heart. I have seen the searching of your soul. I know how deeply you have desired the truth. In pain, you have called out for it. And in joy, unendingly, have you beseeched me, show myself, explain myself, reveal myself. And this is God speaking, by the way, in the book. I'm doing so here in terms so plain you cannot misunderstand, in language so simple you cannot be confused, in vocabulary so common you cannot get lost in the verbiage. So go ahead now, ask me anything, anything. I will contrive to bring you the answer, 
the whole universe will I use to do this. So be on the lookout. This book is far from my only tool. You may ask a question and then put this book down, but watch, listen, the words to the next song you hear, the information in the next article you read, the storyline of the next movie you watch, the chance utterance of the next person you meet, or the whisper of the next river, the next ocean, the next breeze that caresses your ear. All these devices are mine. All these avenues are open to me. I will speak to you if you will listen. I will come to you if you will invite me. I will show you then that I have always been there, all ways. So yeah, so that's what inspired a conversation about child and life to show up. I've started making a list, as you know, of those um, unrationalizable. Hey, I said it right. <laughs> unrationalizable, two for two. Um, coincidences, events. As you know, a, a, that passage in that book from Neil Donald Walsh just mentioned effectively is just as soon as we're open to it, it becomes really visible. It was shocking to me how within two weeks, it's just like, wait, this is some kind of joke. Because <laughs> it was just like, geesh, 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 geesh. it was wonderful how many things in the air. There's no rational explanation for that. There's no rational explanation for that. There's no rational explanation for that. There's just some really cool things. And I'm, you know, delighted that people have been sending some things into you and to me about their own experiences of this. And the one thing to say as well is that um, we, we won't read out who it's from and we'll make them, if you if you are uh, wanting to send them in, we'll say them in a way that no one will know it's you. And that's something that Kate and I are pretty good at, is like masking things, because even when I share stories of people there's no way of knowing who they are because there are some certain basic facts that I change for people. So your so this is why I'm saying this. Your confidentiality is still gonna be intact regardless of what you share. We'll make them in such a way that uh no one else will know who sent it in. So it's an open invitation for you to send in those unrationalizable three for three. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, the, the amount of times I've practiced saying that word when I can remember it and I just don't say it right. So I'm very happy I am. I'm going to leave it at three for three because I'm not now going to risk it um, to go for. Um, yeah, the invitation to send those in. And um, in the next few weeks, we'll have an episode where we, Kate and I will share ours and the ones that... Um, that you will send us to. And that's not even our topic for today. Not for today. What are we talking about today, Kate? We're talking about suffering when. Yeah, how about that turnaround, 180 degrees? <laughs> <laughs> so there you are listening to this going, well, this is such a lovely conversation. Now let's bring you down to earth and talk about suffering. Would you like me to introduce the topic for today? Yes, please, because it oh. was your idea. I'm not taking suffering any responsibility is... for this. <laughs> <laughs> At least 
Only suffering is easier to say than unrationalizable. Although some people can say it really easily, Kate. Yeah. Uh, no, I get caught on it. I've gotten caught on it multiple times. Okay, so interestingly enough, we had a listener question, and the question was around suffering. And we actually talked about how to talk about this subject more than we typically do before. Usually we just jump right in. We're like, yeah, okay. And this time we started talking about it and realizing how many ways people create all the stories and beliefs and how it plays out in their lives around this one subject of suffering. And so we just decided to talk about suffering more in general and all of the ways that we see it as human beings, the way human beings have innocently created stories about what, what suffering is, how it shows up, why, all the cool things that we do as we create this idea of suffering. So what do you got with Anything come up for you? As well, the, first, the first thing that popped into my mind in listening to you again, yeah, because we did have a good 15 minutes of a chat about this and trying to get <laughs> it our heads seems overdone somehow. <laughs> yeah, do we want to talk about this? Because I went, I don't want to talk about that. And then we kind of shot around it in many different ways. But in, in what you've just shared now about suffering and, and what the rules and so forth and either myths or stories that we have as people and as civilizations about suffering is one of the first things I ever learned about Buddhism was that desire is the root of all suffering. I remember that being taught to me in, in school, not that I went to a Buddhist school, but we were doing a broad range of, of different religions to understand their, um, the basic premises within each one. And it might be actually that that's a, it's the most common English translation of that that I've seen is that desire is the, um, is the cause or the root of, uh, of all suffering. But I've also seen it translated as craving is the root of suffering. In Buddhism? Well, yeah, the same tenant actually being translated slightly differently, the word desire and craving being mm. one way of translating the same word in the um, in the language, and I'm not going to share how ignorant I am to know what the root original language of the Buddha scripts would, would be in, or the the teach the teachings of the Buddha. In fact, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's modern. Um, whatever the modern language would be of that, but but the point is. There's a lot to be said for that statement because I, I think that when I am suffering, it's because I want something other than what is. What is right now, either either a feeling or, you know, my, my place in the world, my lot in life. If I want something else other than what is, then there's potential for suffering. And also to the, going back to a point that you and I um, were musing on before, you pressed record today was about all these rules about suffering and 
how easy it is to fall into the into the idea that my suffering is noble, mm. that I am, you know, that I should suffer because of something I've done, or if I suffer, then it takes away the pain of someone else. And that's something that you've introduced. And I was talking to a friend this morning about, not about that, but the story that this person was telling me was if they did someone else's worrying, then it would save the other person from having to worry. And it was just like, what? I don't get that. How can my emotion save someone else from going through their own emotions? And it was just interesting to me. What makes it noble? Yeah, noble to suffer. Now, I remember that for me. I thought I should suffer, but I'd made up a total false premise about the truth of who I am. I thought suffering was a good thing for at one point because suffering was noble. That's, you know, a poet's soul is, you know, it's a tortured soul if you're a poet, if you think deep. And I thought I did. I thought that meant that I should suffer and um, therefore that would bring out the best of my deep voice. It's not true. It's not true. All that really got me was miserable and a lot of suffering. <laughs> anybody who thinks suffering is a good idea is going to do a lot more of it than people who think, what's the point of that? But to me, I had to see for myself that, wait, that was based upon a totally false identity that I'd innocently misunderstood about who I am. I think there's something in the Old Testament that says, I did not put you here to suffer. And I can't remember if I get that right, because I'm quoting a lyric from a song back in the 80s with this now, right? But it was about um, the story of Moses um, guiding his people out of Egypt. I think I did not put you here to suffer. So excuse me if anyone has been offended by this. That's not my intention. And please don't make me suffer. Which actually just introduced another one that we had chatted about. Was it suffering happens to us from the outside? And yes. Yeah. When you said, don't make me suffer. Don't make me suffer. <laughs> you set me up for that. Yeah. And it can really look like that. So do you remember the context that, because I don't, do you remember the context when you and I were talking about that before we started recording? You know, I can't remember, but I, I feel like it's such a common belief that even people who really do have a solid kind of grounding in the idea that we're creating our experience, thought that most days it still looks like someone's creating our suffering or traffic is or suffering's happening you know from the outside and making the suffering for yeah and i think that could be <laughs> i hate to say it but i wonder the people who get a glimpse of that truth of how we experience the world and life and other people, if that doesn't kind of add to their busyness when they're suffering is, oh, I shouldn't be suffering because <laughs> I'm the one who's doing it. 
which adds to my suffering. And now I'm expanding my own, you know, I mean, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Easily done, right? When we see our <laughs> own, but it comes from within, then we think that I, that equals blame. So I, uh, nope. That would be the same as a bird saying it's to blame for having feathers. <laughs> Birds are feathers. Humans have emotions. Thought looks real. It looks outside in. Life looks like outside in is how it works. It's not, but that's how it looks. We're not to blame for that. But heck, it's really good to see that, you know, the, the notion of how something, an emotion like suffering works. Again, it looks like it's coming from outside, but it's coming from inside. And that doesn't mean we're getting life wrong. It also doesn't mean it's a good idea. It doesn't mean it's, you know, what was one of the things we talked about before recording again today was we need to suffer before we see through the illusion of suffering. And I don't know. That feels like a made-up rule to me. You know, it's an interesting way of looking at suffering because I've heard people talk about, well, you know, the people that you meet in life, right? And I've had these same thoughts myself where everything came easy to them. They were constantly getting rescued. They uh, couldn't figure out things for themselves because somebody was always jumping in, but they lived these like lives where everything's just been really easy. And that makes it look like from like, you know, looking at that situation from the outside that they've never really been tested by suffering or by challenges or failure, quote unquote failure. And, and that's really interesting too, that somehow there's value in suffering because it brings out character or, you know, there are all these stories about that, right? But I, I was having a conversation with a dear friend and they were talking about how like up to this point in their lives, they had used their suffering as currency to get what they wanted. So I need you to acknowledge how hard I worked. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you how I'm suffering, what I'm doing, and how much it hurts me, and and using it as currency to either get understanding, attention, hope. Mm. And so suffering had a kind of value to. My friend's like, you know, I can't really feel my own sense of perfection and power while I'm telling this story of my suffering and using it as currency, which I thought was so beautiful and insightful that if we think suffering has value, yeah, then it would make sense to talk right. about and show it and and create more of it in our experience. Because it has value. 
is we're getting something from other people because of ourselves. And that's that's incredible story as well. And very powerful. And when you start to see, oh, that's what I think I'm getting from all myself. Mm. Notice, you know, when you're doing it. I love that. I saw it firsthand last week with a couple. Did you? Mm-hmm. And um, it was the second time I met them, I think, on Thursday or Friday last week. And it was noticeable that one partner only got warm to the other partner when that other partner was in their sob story, was demonstrating emotional suffering then the partner would console and it's the only time i've seen the other partner show heart show um any kind of physical contact at all yeah a hug eye contact i mean it was it was just so obvious to me but oh, you know, but re regarding this topic, it only reminded me of it right now. Is that you know, the, it would make sense to this person if the only way of getting any kind of intimacy and and physical contact from their partner was by demonstrating how hard life is and their suffering. Well, then, <laughs> I, I guess it makes sense in some kind of perverse way. Now, now having seen that. Of course, my job with them for, to be right that for them to see other ways in order for for their love for each other which does exist show up. But it just looked some like um, and I'm not an expert in codependency, but I've read a bit about it and I've and I've certainly been there in a few relationships in my time. Not healthy because if the only way that one person feels warm to the other is when their partner is demonstrating that they think they're broken. I mean, that's not, that's not good news for the future, right? They're both leaving happy, meaningful, enjoyable lives. <laughs> I don't think that's a smart idea. So we'll see how this week goes. Anyway, I was just there as an example to illustrate what you were saying that it can make sense to us to be in our suffering, A, if we think it's worthy, or B, that it fulfills another need that we have. I grew up in a, in a household where I heard, not frequently, but enough, no pain, no gain. Yeah. <laughs> that was I've heard that frequently. Common in my home. So that Things that would come easily don't have as much value. It doesn't look valuable unless you've hurt for it somehow or paid for it somehow or struggled. I love the word struggle because there's so much. Let me show you how I'm struggling. And everybody needs to know how I struggle. And, and I put so much value on struggling. And, and whatever I get after the struggle, it must be super valuable. And so everything else that didn't have that struggle attached to it 
Yeah, I heard that a lot over the years. There's a TV show um, based in your in your country in the US called Alone. And it's on I've about, heard about it. Is it like a reality show? Yeah, it's about the only reality show I'll watch. <laughs> so the premise is that they'll put 10 people alone, just them, a video camera or two, a load of batteries, um, and up to 10 items that they can take into the wilderness. And it, and it's not just like, you know, go down to the forest and live there and whoever lives longest. No, these are pretty brutal locations, right? The latest season that um, uh, that aired really early this year was um, on the Labrador coast in northern Canada. And they kind of like they dropped them off for late September. So then as the fall comes in and then it gets snowy and stuff, right? And every every season it's got that where it gets progressively harder. Because there's no, you know, the only thing you can eat is what you find or what you hunt. And it's, you know, you have a bow and arrow if that's one of the items. You can take a fishing line if that's one of your 10 items. So you can build your own shelter, find your own water, boil your own water, all that stuff. And I remember the first time I was ever told about it, and I can't remember if I ever mentioned it in one of these episodes before, but it was Mara Olson who was telling me about this and telling me the story about this one person who'd got it done had caught a load of fish, smoked a load of fish, had got a really good fishing spot, and then the ice fishing worked and everything because the, the part of the lake was frozen. So this person was now on Easy Street. But because the person was on Easy Street, all they did was start to think about things in their aloneness, and they started to think about all the things that were missing out there. And uh, they went, I don't have to be here. I've conquered this. I'm done. I'm leaving. I pressed the button on the um, satellite radio to say, hey, come and pick me up. What's wrong? Nothing wrong. I just want to go home. Now, that might look like it goes against what you and I have been talking about. Yeah, because this guy had stopped suffering, but at the same time, I mean, he realized that, well, I don't need to be here. I didn't go through this. And the other number of times I hear other contestants over the past 10 seasons or so say, you have to suffer, otherwise you won't stay. Uh, nothing good ever happens without suffering. Go back to this premise. Well, no, I don't have to suffer. Things can be hard without it being suffering, without suffering being involved. Because the emotion we put on whatever's going on in life is, well, that's happening inside us, not from it. But isn't it funny that we think we get more, more kudos if we've stuff, suffered and struggled and we've put blood, sweat and tears into things? Makes sense, but not necessary. Not necessary. I mean, because one way of saying that would be, I'll put myself through hell now in order to have heaven later. Well, if heaven's already here, what's the point? Well, I guess that gets us to another thing that you brought up before we even started, was that we're the ones putting the meaning, right? So if we decide all, you know, what kind of meaning 
suffering has in our lives, and that makes complete sense. And everything that follows after that goes towards that meaning that we put on, that we've created for it. You know, and it, it makes me think of, and I'm not sure where I read it, but the author was just talking about how their children experienced a death, like a grandparent or something like that. Mm. Um, and it was just really good with it, like understood kind of that they weren't going to be around anymore and that they wouldn't be suffering anymore, but seemed really like, okay, that's what's happening. It was kind of like, okay, about death, right? The death of their grandparent. But then began to observe the adult's reaction to death and began to mimic suffering about the death that they didn't have originally without seeing everyone else's suffering around death. And so now the child began to cry and miss and suffer because when someone dies, that's a thing that causes suffering. And so we learn, I think we learn very early, like these, what's appropriate and we mimic suffering. You know, we watch people, watch how others see death and view death. So death means suffering. And we create this meaning from very, very early on. Even if the reality is that death came as a gift, even then, a gift to the, let's say, let's say that person had been physically suffering. And then the person caring for them has been suffering and working super, super hard to take care of them. It actually ended up being a gift. It relieved both parties, and yet we have these stories about what suffering means. It means love sometimes. Like, I, if I'm not suffering, I'm not loving. That's a heck of a point from people who've had gone through bereavement of a long-term partner. They think that by suffering, they're honoring the memory of the person who's passed. doesn't have to be that. Love is what honors the person's past, not suffering. You can miss someone without that being suffering. You can be, we, we feel sad. You can feel low without that meaning more than just having the feeling, that emotion. Or that it blocks, like it blocks other things that are part of that experience, if that makes any sense. So yeah, part of that death might be freaking relief but oh i'm not allowed to i'm suffering here i'm not allowed to feel that as well as sadness and so we really limit our ability to have every experience around i guess any given topic because we've decided this is what it's supposed to look like yeah i don't know i just think this one topic like any other topic there's so much that different people for whatever reason, we've created these amazing stories yeah. around what, what it looks like and what meaning it has and that it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, I loved what you just said there. 
that suffering blocks any other experience, any other feeling, any other emotion that might be available to us moment by moment. You know, which, you know, that, that whole, uh, going back to the beginning of what we discussed today about desire is the root of suffering, desire for something else. And what we resist persists. And sometimes what we dwell in, what we persist in, resists others too. It's the other way of that equation working. Which I hadn't noticed until you said that. So I'm resisting anything else when I'm in my suffering. Innocently, there's no blame there either. And there's no blame on any story or any meaning we've put on something that doesn't have a meaning of its own. We're making it all up. Always. I'm too someone that it not only does it block other things that might be part of an experience, but it seems to also not leave a lot of space for how fluid experience is, how it wants to move, not necessarily stick around. Mm. So we can be experiencing peace one minute and sadness another minute, maybe, you know, tension, but also laughter and, and experience is constantly moving and shifting and temporary. But when we get this idea of what it's supposed to look like, and this is what suffering looks like, yeah, okay, maybe it does, but maybe not for as long, you know, like it just keeps suffering in our experience. So we can't see that until we see it. So this, I don't want to say that there's anything wrong with any of this. It's just a cool conversation, but experience is fluid. And I love sometimes when I, you know, because lately I, I've been through some hard stuff and I can hear myself sometimes saying, yeah, it's a hard time. And that becomes like, this is the only thing that's, that, that I'm going through, right? This hard time. Like I can hear myself say it. And I love when somebody calls me out on like, really like every second. Well, you know, no, not every second. <laughs> but I don't allow for that awareness that maybe it's not actually a hard time every minute, maybe not even half of my day. But so I like noticing when I'm, I'm generalizing my experience and like, that's what my whole day was. It was a hard day, right? And I've got a whole story about what that looks like. But if I really looked at it, honestly, like, was it the whole? No. And I, and I like to catch myself and, and notice that too. But it is fooling if I let it be. Mm -hmm. And also notice when I think suffering is bad. When suffering allows me to connect with someone. So now we're sharing our suffering. Like that idea. Like how we use suffering as currency. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? I, I think there's a bit as we wrap up this episode 
to talk about if the person listening right now is suffering. Maybe that will be a good way for us to close this out. Because it just crossed my mind as if this might just feel like just two people who don't know what it's like to suffer talking about suffering. Yeah, right. Oh, you and I both know for ourselves, right? That ain't true. But I wonder what you and I would want to say to someone who's going through the mill right now. Have something. Mm. I think that when we're in deep suffering, for me, and this is just my experience, that when I'm there, I can honor that. That's what's happening. That's where I am. I don't need to hold on to it, but I also don't need to try to push it away. I can honor it as any experience that I'm having and allow it to be what it is for as long as it wants to be there. And honestly, just, I think that often sometimes just allowing space for that to be happening and honor it. It's so free because now you don't need to do anything. I can just feel it. It's there to be felt. Compassion is huge for, for yourself. Whatever showing up around that suffering behaviors or words or whatever. I would also say to you that I think, especially for people that are in the middle of it, that maybe they can't access this right now, but, you know, we're built to experience life all at once. We're built for this. Mm. And if anybody listening feels like that's not the case, Email me. I'll remind you your vote for that. We all and email Kate again in the year. Because <laughs> I guarantee that it would not have been consistent between that first email and the and the one in twelve months time. That doesn't mean don't email me, by the way, but Kate volunteered. So I volunteered. Yeah. That will be the reminder. Well, I think that's a really cool thing, you know, because if there is if you are out there and you're feeling that, then tell us more and we will make it, we could make an episode from it and talk to you about that because I'm pretty sure you will not be the only person out there of the 8 billion souls alive today who are going through a similar experience. And we'll make it as such that no one could possibly know it's you that we're talking about. Here's one thing that I know that I didn't at the time when I was in the middle of my, my bouts of suffering. I didn't know I was doing my best. Mm-hmm. And I always was. Even the days I never left bed. Even the days I couldn't face anything. Even the moments where I'd be, I don't know, beside myself and and angry and, you know, whatever feeling. 
I've had over the years, but I always did my best. And it didn't appear so at the time, but it's absolutely true now. So our hearts go out to you for whatever that's worth. Thank you again. You've been listening to this week's episode of Under the Noise. And as a reminder again, if you are willing and able to send in your unrationalizable <laughs> Nice. Unrationalizable. Um, coincidences, if you want any Millers into me and or Kate, then please do, and we'll be sharing that in, a, in an episode in the next few weeks. And meanwhile, we wish you both a good week. The ways of getting in touch with Kate and myself are in the outro and written out wherever you found um, this podcast today. We wish you a lovely week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about, email Wynn or Kate at win at winning.co.uk and kate at kateroberts.coaching.com. Until then, enjoy what's possible under the noise.